This is why we love racing in all its forms. That's King of Swing fighting though. He's a superstar, a champion pacer. Untapped in front, untapped holding on. What a win. Untapped from the Rara Sensei. And it's very elegant. Ten group bumps. And now the greatest of them all, the Melbourne Cup. For the next hour, RSN is cracking the codes. And what a great morning to be cracking the codes on with Dan Malecki and Matt Stewart, my two favourite co-hosts. W.S. Cox Plate Day and also Geelong Pacing Cup tonight. It's a great time to be alive and there's plenty of greyhound action that is starting to kick in in the next couple of weeks also. So a good time for racing. How are you both, Dan? Very good. Looking forward to William Samuel Plate Day. Oh. That's what the WS stands oh. for. Do you realise what the... Simone just said then? Hang on a minute. She yeah. said, my two favourite, and I thought, oh, her two favourite men. Oh. Then but she I said, my two have... favourite co-hosts. We're your only, only co-hosts. co-hosts. <laughs> they have to be my oh. favourite. It's like a backhand compliment. Is that what you're well, trying to say? It's not even that. It's a thinly, just thinly veiled sort of something else. And my favourite producer, Craig. He's your only producer. Well, he's not been my only producer over the years, but he is my favourite producer. Well, the other blacks are complete lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> No, I've liked all my producers, but I've spent more time with Craig than anyone, so he has to be my favourite. But anyway, we've got... William Samuel Cox, plate. That's it. He's the founder of the Racing Club, or the Mooney Valley Racing Club. That's where that name comes from. Um, We've got a really busy show this morning. Um, We've got... Would you like to introduce your guest? Oh, well, not introduce her. Tell everyone who we are talking to. Really significant moment in time thing. This uh, social media uh, platform has... um, has been created by Vicky Leonard and others, a uh, well-known figure in the industry, uh, the editor of Thoroughbred Daily News. Uh, kick up for racing, and, and it's designed to rebut um, exaggerations and untruths about horse racing uh, from various angles. And I think it's going to be a really interesting interview because it's quite a nuanced discussion, and I'm sure Vicky is well aware of just how complicated it is to rebut things, things that are said about horse racing that we don't necessarily believe are true. And uh, we're interested to have a chat to her. Yeah. So that's Vicky Leonard, John Dunn, uh, CEO of the John Harness Racing Club. It's cup night tonight. And you've got a terrific guest I'm really looking forward to having a chat with. Talking about the WS Cox Plate, Will Evans, son of race caller Craig Evans, is strapping Mr Brightside in today's big race. So we're going to hear from a strapper's perspective and hear all about Mr Brightside. Loving their racing, pacing and chasing. Matt Stewart, Dan Malicki and Simone Fisher. Cracking the codes. Guys, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, Trent Mazenhelder actually, who works here doing a bit of panelling, said to me, have a look at this. And it's a new Twitter handle called Kick Up for, at, at Kick Up for Racing. So... Anyone who's automatically curious, just just Google uh, Google at Kick Up for Racing, and uh, this is the spiel, and it sort of sums it up. And we're about to have a chat to Vicky Leonard about uh, sort of the reason why something like this has aro- arisen. So we're here to Kick Up for Racing, addressing misinformation about racing with fact-checked responses to common misconceptions and showcasing the love for the horse. And for me, what continues to showcase the sensitivity that racing has with you know the community and so on was with the floods on the Maribyrnong where the flood wall saved Flemington and then the houses around it became uh, flood affected and there was a lot of criticism about why this horse racing jurisdiction got you know was preserved and the houses uh, weren't and it made me think about um, just this delicate balance we have with people who look for any opportunity to to have a go at racing and Vicky Leonard and uh, and others uh, have sort of t- translated the, that that need to sort of rebuff a lot of misconceptions about racing into this Twitter handle and uh, it's going to be interesting now to have a chat to Vicky about the ki- the kind of misconceptions that they're dealing with. How are you, Vicky? Very well, thank you. How yeah, you? good. Did you sort of have that feeling with the flood wall photos where everyone was just slamming racing and slamming Flemington? Uh, in an opportunistic way that wasn't even relevant, but it just highlighted the uh, the sensitivity in some ways that racing now has with uh, the naysayers. Yeah, I mean, I think the, t- the time of year probably had a little bit to do with it as well. You know, we're particularly close to Cup Week and, you know, for the last decade, we've certainly copped a lot uh, heading into this particular week each year. Um, but definitely, I mean, we're an industry with a pretty large bullseye on our back for numerous reasons. Um, and, and for many ways, we, we just need to do better and, and make sure we, we are responding to the requirements, you know, that the public hold us to. But in a lot of ways, it's really, really unfair. And that's 
why we um, decided to, you know, to set up. We've got a website and and, and our social handles are Kick Up for Racing or, or Kick Up is the known. Vicky, ignorance has got a great deal to do with it. There's no doubt about that. And and add that in with social media nowadays because people can believe quarter truths, not even half truths, and they go along that line because someone else you know, gave misled information. We know that exists. But the industry bodies, the governing bodies in, in all of the codes for that matter, do they do enough in, in verbally attempting to shut down a lot of uh, these people because most of that information it's either misconstrued or just a complete fabrication I think there's a bit of a you know head in the sand type response our industry is pretty um, tight knit and as a result there's a lot of people within it and I'd say the majority of people within it that tend to disassociate with each other um, and rather than actually become aware of it or open their minds to hearing what's going on uh, it's just a bit more of that self-perpetuating, uh, staying with you, within your own beliefs and, and in your own circles. So whilst um, a lot of it, you know, is sort of chosen ignorance, a lot of them actually, to be honest, I don't think realise quite how quite how bad it's getting in, in the general public. Uh, my team, so I've got a marketing company based in Sydney. I worked for um, Arrowfield for, for eight years, so I've been involved in a lot of industry leadership projects with John Masara. And this was something that popped up about six years ago when I was studying for my MBA. My classmates were really anti-racing. And I, I was quite shocked because I'd really only been, since I'd lived in Australia, I'm originally a Kiwi, I'd only been around people that loved racing. And I didn't realise it was quite that bad. So about six years ago, I sat down with, with JM, John Masara, and, and, and actually had meetings with a lot of the principal racing authorities presenting this saying we don't need to be putting our head in the sand. We're, what they're saying is actually patently untrue in a lot of cases. So it's not like we're rebuffing something with you know, a false factor of biased opinion. It's actually scientifically proven in a lot of cases. You know, like one that you know, pops up very regularly is, is you know, as against two-year-old racing, saying that the thoroughbreds are mature and it shouldn't be running. It's actually patently untrue, and all the data has shown in every test that horses that race it too have longer and sounder careers than those that don't. Why? Because of boner modelling. And when you get down to the science, it's pretty, it's very, very easy and, and important to defend. 98% of the horses growth, a thoroughbred, we're not talking about warm bloods here, we're talking about thoroughbreds, is done by the time they're 18 months old. So we, <laughs> we're dealing with people that, to be honest, a lot of it's down to naivety. They don't really realise. So we need to take the time to explain it. Then we're going to win back a lot of that share of voice. I guess there's also the a lot of the criticism of racing comes from starts Vicky from a reasonably solid foundation as well anti gambling welfare so there is a there's something there's something there in, in some ways with these concerns and what I tend to think too Vicky is you've got to pick your battles a little bit sometimes when people in the racing bubble dismiss the naysayers as you know, hippies, minorities and all that sort of stuff, I don't think that represents them accurately as well because you've got to take them a bit more seriously than that with concerns that can require a little bit of explanation from our side of the fence. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. We actually need to be learning from what these people are saying. Yeah. Part of the, and and certainly part of the, the challenge is addressing incorrect information that's, a, you know, what we've started to really focus on as sort of phase one of kick-up is actually trying to, you know, fix the things that are patently untrue. However, there are things. We're not, I mean, like, we're not a perfect industry. We need to improve. There's an, I mean, there's, there's numerous initiatives now being rolled out for rehoming that weren't done previously. And going forward in, in, in a whole lot of ways, we need to be listening to people's concerns and addressing them. And there are some things that we will never be able to defend to everyone. For instance, the anti-gambling sentiment in the community is very strong. And, and who are we to tell them how to feel? So but these same people, are they aware that, you know, 40 and 50 years ago when the tote was invented, most of the public schools and hospitals around Australia were built as a result of funding that come via racing? Well, that's a point worth clarifying, Vicky, but there's also, you know, I'm not going to tell anyone who tells me that they've got a problem with gambling that they shouldn't have a problem with a problem with gambling. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The funny thing, though, about a lot of these is you ask, you know, 
two-day, you know, who their service time is worth, and, it, and it's, it's probably Oz Suva who's the biggest shareholder in Tabcorp. You know, so there's a lot of hypocrisy out there where people are going with things. A lot of people don't like horse racing because they think that we're using a thoroughbred horse as a commodity. Well, animals have been used in human civilization for a long, long time, whether it's they've been used as a purpose, and whether it's the fact that, you know, you've got a pet, so you're using it as a companion, We've got, you know, horses that we're using as, you know, for, for entertainment or for business, or you're literally raising animals to eat them, you know, as we do on farms. Animals have long had a purpose in human lives. And, and look, if you are a non-leather-wearing, non-pet-owning vegan, you're not going to like horse racing. And that's completely, totally up to you, and that, we totally respect that opinion. But if you uh, think it's okay to eat meat, but I don't agree with, you know, racing thoroughbreds, I'm sorry, but you kind of got your values really misaligned there. The, well, there's no doubt about that. I mean, horses, any animal deserves to be happy, and most of them are happy when they are working, when they are being exercised, when they are running about. I'll go out and have a kick of the football, and my dogs want to play with me. What, I'm not going to let them play football because they're not supposed to? Can they you, kick? Oh, no, they're, they're great marks. They're super. If I came back, if you know, we could get reincarnated. I want to be a thoroughbred racehorse or standardbred racehorse because... There wouldn't be a human in the world. You think about this, right? A horse that's in work, in training, they've got their own personal trainer, okay, looking after and exercising them. They'll have their doctor, which is the vet, visit them. They don't have to book in and get in tomorrow or the day after. The vet can come straight away. A muscle manipulator. You have someone that comes and fix up their feet, which is obviously the farrier. So their shoes are attended to. They get shampooed, brushed. They're fed healthily. They don't eat chocolate or drink alcohol and all that sort of stuff like we do. So there couldn't be a better example of the perfect specimen of an athletic animal. And and that, what I just read out there, um, that... I'd say nearly 100% of humans worldwide would not have access to all of those things. Mm. And that lives. argument has never completely resonated for, for different reasons, Vicky? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people just don't realise. I mean, we're, we're in a very urban culture these days. A lot of people, for a lot of people, the, a horse is as foreign as an animal. So we actually have to go out and communicate it. And it's pretty scary, the messages that are cutting through these days, and that's Partly, I mean, phase one, as you'll see on our website, it is largely defensive material where we are dealing with misconceptions and common concerns that can be very easily elaborated on. So the next phase is to really go into more promotional things to actually showcase our industry really beautifully. At the moment, kind of all that we really do to do that is we'll do some really nice, you know, to-camera interviews with rehomers or show off the Chautauquas. But what's really cool, like, you know, David Cobritz and the guys at Musk Creek. I mean, they've got a couple of nannies there that failed x-rays as a yelling and weren't going to be able to go into the racing system. <laughs> like, they're the horses that we should be showing. These guys are really well looked after. They didn't have to win a group one to do it. I mean, mm. they even never actually made it to the track. So there's a huge amount behind the scenes that, you know, people aren't really exposed to. I, and I don't think at all the industry has done any close to remotely a decent job at even trying to do it. Vicky, I tend to agree with you. Well, I do agree with you. And um, coming from, well, I've got a, an ex-race horse and involved with the greyhounds. And I still feel there's so much misinformation. You'll see, you know, people, there's a greyhound. Oh, it, it's been rescued. It needs needs rescuing and all this. And you look at the greyhound and you think, this greyhound is in beautiful condition. It doesn't need rescuing. It hasn't been rescued. It needs to be rehomed. And then other people will start writing on a thread or a comment, you know, Oh, they just kill them all. They put them down and, you know, they're too slow. And it it makes me so cross and so frustrated. And I feel that the industry, they're probably trying very hard. But we need to get, rather than saying we love our dogs, I think everyone's tired of that message. We love our dogs. We love our horses. They need that facts to back them up, to back it up. And things like, you know, with the greyhounds, they are not allowed to be euthanized. No greyhound is allowed to be euthanized in Victoria, and I dare say Australia as well, without having numerous clearances by vets, stewards, and it has to be an extreme case as to why it can't be 
rehomed. And this is what I feel that we need to be getting these messages out. Um, not about we love the animals because it's not cutting it anymore. Well, Vicky, we'll ask about the building blocks now from the website and the Twitter handle and how you take these steps into into these messages resonating. There's two things I want to ask you about. Mm-hmm. How damaging were the um, the two fatalities in the Melbourne Cups in recent times as far as if we're making some advances with getting these messages through? Those two deaths in the Melbourne Cup, how, how much of a setback was that for the sort of things you're trying to do? Um, just, just, yeah, just on that one, I was going to ask you too about the advent of social media too, how, how difficult it is to contain negative messaging and inaccurate messaging because of the era that we're in with social media. Yeah, so I addressed the first one about the Melbourne Cup. I mean, it's, it's been a particularly tough run in that there's literally one race a year that the majority of the public watch. And it happens to be the race where we've had 48 times the breakdown race than a normal race. And so if you're not privy to horse racing on a day-to-day basis like we are, you're going to think and extrapolate that out that, oh, God, that's actually normal for the industry. They're okay with that happening. When we're actually as shocked and as disappointed in what that race has thrown up in the last the last decade, really, than anyone. Like, we're very disappointed in it. And, and that's why Racing Victoria and the VRC came down like a ton of bricks. And, and really did a full analysis. I mean, they've got 42 recommendations. It's now the hardest race in the world for any horse to get into. And so it should be. That's exactly the response that needed to happen, and they've responded accordingly. But it doesn't help that it's the one race a year, um, and, and we found some, they, their, their review obviously found some consistencies around it being international horses, that 100% of them were obviously international. So they've tried to bring in these recommendations. But communicating those to people who will only tune in to the racing industry again in two weeks' time isn't going to be easy. Well, Vicky, just on that, just on that very sentiment, I remember we were glassed in. It was during COVID. We were the only people allowed on track as well as a few VRC officials. And after Anthony Van Dyke, I remember walking past three or four of them and you've never seen a more dejected group of people who knew how close to the edge of the cliff this had pushed the Melbourne Cup, which had been around for 150 years and was an immovable object. It was a. It was nothing was ever going to tarnish the Melbourne Cup. But they knew that day after the Cliffs of Moore two years earlier that this race was at risk, and that's why they introduced those protocols as severely as they did. And I know a lot of big syndicates and big owners who import horses who are jumping up and down about Grace Forbes and her hoops she's put them through on that. But Vicky, I'm totally in your corner too because I think against their frustration and annoyance is a race that. One more death, and it's nearly curtains for the Melbourne Cup. Not even curtains for the Melbourne Cup. It's actually curtains. It's actually really impacting not just that one race. It impacts the entire industry. Like it brings us all in, like everyone who, who and it's insulting, right, for the people whose day to day lives are spent caring for these horses that they are judged by this one result. And you know, the, I think the harsher the better. And I, I mean, I find it really disappointing actually some of the responses from very experienced industry people that should know better that we are in awful trouble if we don't get our flagship race sorted out. I mean, it doesn't just affect people in Victoria. It affects the New South Wales industry. It affects WA industry. It affects the New Zealand industry just as much. Hey, um, just on the... on Okay, so we've got the, the website up, Facebook and the Twitter handle. Just remind us the address of the website and the Twitter handle and people can, can check in. What, what are the building blocks now? What are you hoping to achieve in, say, the next six to 12 months? Um, yes, yeah, so the website's kickup.com.au, although um, kickupforracing.com and .com.au work as well. So we're up on um, all the social media channels. Our target market is, is largely people in their 20s, so we, we'll be going really strong on TikTok, um, looking towards reels heavily on Instagram, getting very visual. Um, we're also on YouTube, LinkedIn, um, and Facebook. So we've covered off all the social medias because these days it is a, it's an incredibly effective form of communication. And it is partly, obviously, why the industry is in the position is that things can spread very quickly. However, when we respond to an anti-racing pro, uh, comment that is clearly incorrect with something that is truthful, that will help perpetuate the algorithm so that more people can come to our website and learn properly. We're not heavily pro-pro racing through any of this content. 
I mean, whilst we, the team, you know, at CAC, they're all in their 20s. They absolutely love it. But we've tried to deliver these topics very independently and, and balanced so that, you know, we've not shied away from the scary stuff. You know, there's an article in there that talks about why when a horse breaks its leg, it has to be put down because one of the common misconceptions is that we don't want to pay for it to be saved, which is just completely untrue on many levels. Um, so there are some pretty scary topics in there, and we get, we're working through some more, but we, there's some topics that right now we can't answer. We need um, some of the racing jurisdictions to pro- provide us with better data, and when that's available, we'll be publishing it. And, I mean, like the road toll, we want it to be zero. Like, um, you know, how a lot of the sports have, have gone through and made sure that, you know, their sports are getting safer and healthier, so, so is racing. Racing needs to respond to that. Um, so phase one is, has been very much getting launched with content that should help people within the industry respond properly to people who don't understand or don't know and are therefore being influenced um, without a balanced perspective. That's phase one. Phase two is we're going to get a lot more into promoting different parts of the industry, bringing people from outside the industry into it, but really relying on... Um, quite fun, engaging stuff, no sort of to-camera interviews. It'll be a lot more organic and authentic content that will resonate in that. We're dealing with focus groups of people in their 20s. That's really, you know, really our, our, our market. What about people um, 10 years younger? Yeah, well, we'd lo- love to get it. They are, a lot of them actually aren't allowed on social media. So mm. you're kind of relying on that perpetuating, you know, trickling down, yep. which it does, you know. Like, you, you, you know, you get a lot of that cross-generational conversation um, then our third third phase is to really get a lot more sophisticated in the deliverability so that we can reach a lot more of the public. So, I mean, I'm a horse racing person. Every client that we have at Kit Collective is a horse racing client. So that gives us a huge advantage in that we have an enormous amount of access to great farms, to awesome stories, to what people day-to-day that work in this industry are actually doing and and. and what they're putting in and this high standard of care and attention that are given to all these horses. Um, but on the other hand, we would need help then to really reach the public. So to get into the third phase, we're going to need funding because everything's sort of been done just you know out of our own um, bank account. And obviously, um, going forward to really ramp, we, we would need to get support. Um, but But to do that, I mean, there's an incredible amount of sophisticated marketing technologies and things we can start utilising and being proactive about things instead of always being reactive. Yeah, well, right place, right time, I think, Vicky, for something like this because we are at a really interesting phase with the relationship between racing and the outside world and uh, this can only help. And I think the other thing too is the, the portraying from within the bubble of those outside the bubble, demonising them as minority groups and hippies and all that sort of stuff, that's got to end and it sounds like you're so aware of that, so... Uh, good luck with it, and whatever we can do, um, we will certainly um, we will certainly help. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Vicky Leonard, there, uh, kick up for racing. That's the Twitter handle. That's the website. If you just Google that, you'll find it. Uh, I remember remember when they outlawed jumps racing temporarily, and there was a rally at Flemington. There was a real public speakers, and it was let's fight for jumps racing. And there was a guy I won't name who it was. He was a prominent figure in the industry. That the the anti jumps racing people were on the other side of the fence, and he was literally rattling the the fence in a threatening sort of manner and prowling up and down. And I thought, all you people who portray people who don't like racing or jumps racing in an extreme as as vague and hippie do gooder uh, renter crowds, that's completely wrong. Yeah, you, th- th- this isn't a minor- minority objection. Wrong. No, it's There's not. There's elements Dan. of truth in that. No, well, Dan, there is elements you know, the, of truth. The, in that. the push against racing is not a small wave. It is a very no, big no, wave. no. But a social media has created that wave. In addition uh, to false information, no, it it's people who've uh, in their own healthy, in their own legitimate way. There's healthy components like to it. it. They don't like it, but there's still. Um, evidence of some of those that you were talking about. There are healthy components that can come out of some of the things you know that uh, we've mm. come up against. So I'm not denying that's not the case. Well, but it's, a, it's a healthy society not a, if you get polarising opinions about a sport that's not everyone's yeah. cup of tea. But, but it doesn't have to be everyone's cup of tea. And then there's things that I don't like, mm. but I'm not going to start preaching to people. But that's people. the thing. And if, mm. you know, it's one thing I really hate seeing photos of is game fishing, like massive fishes yeah. on big, horrible hooks. Yeah. I mean, but I'm same, not going same. to, I yeah. don't know enough about it. Mm. To me, it looks horrendous, but I'm not going to start jumping up and down about it 
it's 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 but a But there's really, elements in racing fine that a line, isn't it, yeah. between mm. putting your head in the sand and addressing the issues in mature ways probably not the right word, but a way a respectful way and you're never going to have mutual respect. And but I think the you way try and the way they're doing it here is perfect because it's not it's a, it's not it's, condescending. No, it's not condescending. Yeah. It's not combative. It's just yeah. informative, and they're picking their fights. They're not going to pick fights with people who they know they can't win over. So mm. they're just trying to, in their own way, sort of correct misconceptions, and that and that's that's pretty much yeah, what you can no, do. And that's exactly right. And that's much needed to be done. So, guys, um, harness racing tonight. Been a big week uh, of harness racing, but it's Geelong Pacing Cup night tonight. Um, they've got a terrific field. And um, our friend and uh, my mutual friend of, you know, the great Robbie Williams is about to join us, um, CEO of the Geelong oh, Harness Racing Club. Is this the Auckland Casino story? Yes, yes. No, it was Christchurch Casino. Christchurch was, Casino. Yeah. But JD is a Geelong fan. He went out to the uh, grand final. And uh, I haven't had a chance to ask if he caught up with our good mate Robbie Williams. Well, good morning, John. I know you've asked for validation with a couple of people recently of whether or not you've met Robbie Williams, but did you happen to see him at the grand final or after the after party this year? Uh, no, I actually, I'm, I'm most missed. I didn't even go to the after party, but no, he was certainly sensational on grand final day, uh, as uh, as the world saw. But uh, no, it was good to see uh, Robbie again, and this time... Again, we- there we go. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you know who he is tell now. Tell us the Christchurch Casino story. Well, do you want me to tell the <laughs> yeah. other the other night Simone. at the Trots? I was at Geelong Trots a few weeks ago, and um, John was there with Heath Connors, and uh, intro- introduced me to him. Anyway, Andy Gath was standing near us as well, and John said to me, Simone, I'm going to ask you a question. And I said, I know exactly what you're going to ask me. And yes, John and Dan were at the Christchurch Casino playing pool or having drinks with Robbie Williams and neither of them knew who it was. And um, Andy Gaff's mouth just dropped to the floor. He couldn't believe it. Well, Robbie uh, Williams <laughs> knew who his companions were. It's just that the companions <laughs> didn't know who Robbie Williams was. It's uh, a great story, you. though. That's it, we, yeah. we, we Oh, my a, God. Are you Dan Malecki? Well, he, well, I've said this before. He's probably talking. Well, he texted me the other day. All right. We're tied for time. That's enough of, your, that's enough of your bloody um, Williams stuff. Hey, wouldn't it be great? To be truthful, we could have invited him to come out cup night tonight at Geelong. I reckon he'd be there. He wouldn't necessarily have to perform. Maybe he could do the national anthem for you before the race, and uh, he'd be happy. We'll give him a few tips. He's easily pleased. We know that, don't we, JD? Uh, it is. All he, all he needs is one or two wins on the roulette wheel and a couple of high fives, and he's happy. Yeah, and a couple of drinks. Quite a lot of no, drinks, actually. A, a couple of those green drinks, and uh, that does him. Yeah. Snake eyes. Tell us about uh, tonight, because you haven't had an opportunity over the last few years with COVID uh, to show off um, uh, some of the new parts of the Geelong track. Uh, your dining area is quite spectacular, and I think you get a good opportunity um, for for patrons to, to soak up not just the atmosphere, but the facilities at Geelong. Oh, for sure. It's been 2019 was the last time we had the crowds at the Cup. Since then, we've built a new winning post bar and restaurant. Uh, we've renovated the Bayview restaurant. Uh, and what, what's not new here has been renovated. So it's an entirely uh, brand-new complex, virtually, than what the crowd would have seen um, two or three years ago. So, no, the uh, the winning post restaurant is, is uh, fully booked, and the Bayview is getting close to be fully booked. So uh, there'll be close to 300 people uh, sitting behind the glass windows of the restaurants enjoying the view of the track. Well, it's uh, good to have people back. Um, how is your tenure going as CEO there? Because um, uh, for a while there, the, the racetrack was becoming a bit of a, a white elephant, uh, I think, JD. But I've seen the turnaround, a significant turnaround. And keeping in mind, it must have, because you've also got a, a heat night of the Inter-Dominion coming up. Oh, certainly. That was a huge, huge boost for the club. Um, look, it's pleasing, Dan, on a whole host of... Uh, uh, levels, uh, not so, but the, the, we have throughout the year um, certainly had some good crowds up in the restaurants for various theme nights. Uh, look, it's even showing up in, our, in, in betting turnover. I get the betting turning figures each week, of course, and our, our on-course and digital turnover for, for, the, for the first quarter, last three months, is twice the, the, the turnover of any other club, including Melton. So, we're certainly we're certainly hitting the KPIs, and, and I suppose it's it's like the, the rolling moss. It gathers momentum, and um, it really it all stems from 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 the um, 
It's on the $1.07 million we've spent on the complex over the past 18 months, two years. Yeah, no, it looks spectacular. I'm looking forward to being there uh, tonight. You've got a good cup field as well, and it's really healthy having a three-year-old in the race, interest-free. I'm glad. I hope it opens the floodgates to have more three-year-olds in those feature races. Look forward to seeing you a little bit later on today, JD. Yeah, look forward to catch up with you tonight, Dan. John Dunn there, the CEO of Geelong Harness Racing Club. It's cup night tonight. Loving their racing, pacing and chasing. Matt Stewart, Dan Maliki, and Simone Fisher. Cracking the codes. We are certainly cracking the codes on this Cox Plate morning. What a, a great day of racing we had to have ahead of us. And um, guys, we often get the perspective of a trainer, an owner, a jockey who's won this great race. But um, I don't think we've ever had a strapper on before. But this morning, that's all going to change. And Everyone is familiar with Craig Evans, the race caller. Well, he's got a son who is strapping Mr. Brightside this morning in the Cox Plate. So, Will joins us this morning. Good morning, Will. Good morning, guys. Good to be here. Oh, gee, it must be um, a nervous, exciting, anxious sort of a day for you. Can you tell us what it's like the morning of a Cox Plate? Uh, yeah, it's pretty nervous, but once you get up nice and early and in with the horses, it's not too bad. Um, but, yeah, it's a very exciting day. What's, he looks like a bit of a gentleman. Is he Is he is an, an easy horse to strap? Yeah, he's an absolute pleasure to deal with. But, um, he's the quietest horse around the stable. Everyone loves riding and deal with him. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty special horse to have around. I heard that he's a little bit lazy in track work, Will. Yeah, he sure is. And everyone got to see that on Tuesday morning. But that's just him. He wakes up on race days. Hopefully that's the case today. So what's involved this morning getting to the races obviously you know you're going to be dealing with the horse for most of the day if not all of the day just tell us and our listeners what it involves once you get out of bed and head to the stables what happens yeah so we start at 4 30 and um yes he's just been out for a trot and canter now and he's had a shampoo and been on the walker for a little bit so he's back in his box and all tucked away and then um we've got to be on track three hours before the race so um, yeah, from now until then, he's just relaxing and then it's all systems go. Do you... Treadmill and shampoo, it sounds like <laughs> the average day of, a say, a 27-year-old suburbanite. So, you know, I'll go to the gym in the morning, get to work, have a shampoo. So. But they'd it's, run late, They though, do get spoiled. They, yeah, they'd they, run they, late. They'd run late. Strapper yeah. and the horse has to be there on time. And you hang around with old Brightside down in the uh, the race day stalls all day and, and uh, keep a bit of water up to him and, uh, and just sort of keep a general eye on proceedings? Can it... You just while away the time a little bit for a while, do you? Or are there other horses you strap as well as him today? Uh, yeah, I'm strapping one in the first. So, um, yeah, she's a nice filly. But then, yeah, I'm just looking after Brightside when he's on course. So, yeah, it gets a pretty nervous three hours. But all the owners will be there and, yeah, give him walks and just keep him as relaxed as possible. Yeah, that's a long day then. If, if you've got one in the first three hours before and Cox Plate's race... Whatever, what nine, is it? Nine. nine of ten. That's a long day. You want to be a bit of a stayer, Will? <laughs> That's it. Not the worst thing, though. It relaxes the nerves. Otherwise, you can overthink it too much. So, you... um, But, yeah, it's a great day to be a part of and probably the best day on, of the year. So, Will, putting the bridle on, the saddle on, uh, there must be some nervous moments making sh- you, sure you've We're got We're going to ask you if you've girth, ever stuffed it up. Girth so. done right. <laughs> um, you know, you don't Blinkers, wanna... no blinkers, that sort of stuff, you know. A bit of nylon around the tongue. Yeah, nah. So, yeah, we're lucky. We've got our um, sheet worked out with all the gear and, yeah, about 40 minutes before we put all the gear on. So, he's got uh, winkers on today and then... Yeah, Ben and JD will bring the saddle and that goes on 30 minutes before the race and, yeah, we get him out and walking after that. I think the Winkers is a recent addition, isn't it? Yeah, today's the first time, so he used them on Tuesday morning, so hopefully it's the extra length or two we need to get to the favourite. What's it like parading around a parade yard on a big race meeting, Will? You've... Um strapped a, a horse before in the Australian Cup, and I'm just looking, 50, 50 stars, stars yeah. and he won the Australian Cup. So what's the atmosphere like from your perspective, walking around that mounting yard with the horse, trying to keep everything calm, um, but you can hear the crowd, you know what's going on. Do you try and block it out, or do, do you just absorb that energy? Yeah, you sort of have to absorb it and just, yeah, be... It's a great day to be a part of. So you just got to take it all in. He's very. I'm very lucky. He's a very relaxed horse. But yeah, you definitely hear everyone chit chatting and that, and speaking about him. So it's pretty cool. 
I'm just digressing for one moment because Simone said before, I'm not sure we had a strapper on before, but you'll probably laugh at this, Will. We did get a strapper on. We got Winx's strapper on one day. Oh, that's right. We did. And, and we either we dialed the wrong number, we got the wrong person. We started doing this interview <laughs> with this lady that sounded like she was in her 70s or, that's or right. something like that. It took us about six or seven minutes before we thought there's something not quite right here. And she went on with it and on with it, didn't she? It was quite funny. So this is the real Will, isn't it? You are really strapping Mr. Brightside, aren't you, you fraud? Yeah, this is the real... <laughs> but the valley's a bit different because it's a real cauldron. Do you ever hear when you're strapping a horse that you love someone outside the fence looking on saying something disparaging? Have you ever sort of said, well, hang on a minute, this is my horse here. He's a plain-looking horse. Or he yeah, can't this hack, like it can't win. Any of that stuff go on? Yeah, you definitely hear it. Everyone's got their opinion and that's justified, but hopefully he just goes out on the track and does what we know. He can do. They say you can insult someone's wife or girlfriend, but don't insult their horse. I've never tested that theory because it's it's still high risk, Will, isn't yeah, it? it? You know, like okay, I reckon I got a green light to insult my my, my or, mate's wife. Or the other way, boyfriend or <laughs> yes, you know, partner yeah. or whatever. I think the worst thing with Mr. Brightside would be having all those drunks singing the song as he came back to scale. Oh, if you want, it'd be better than the horses. Let's face it, and a big ownership. <laughs> what can go wrong in the? Because I've got a kid, two kids who strap. And sometimes you think, oh, the horse might step on the kid's foot or the horse will do something a bit cranky unexpectedly or another horse will. And, and there are a lot of people watching. Do you, do you ever feel like you're, you're under a bit of a microscope and think, oh, I just, just want this to go smoothly? Yeah, you definitely do, especially the horse of this calibre. And in, yeah, probably one of the biggest races of the year, you just, it is a bit of a relief end of the day once he's back in his box. Um, and everything's gone smoothly, but you've also got to just enjoy the ride. And, yeah, because you never know when this might happen again. Well, I noticed the, through the Flemington Carnival over the last number of years, they've extended to, including the race book, the names of the strappers, and there are strappers awards. So um, does that, I mean, it must be uh, a great feeling when you see your name uh, in the book or any of the strappers for that matter but I don't know how extensive it is I mean it should be in the book for every meeting on a normal Saturday I reckon um, but there's been prizes and prize money I think associated with some of the carnivals have you been amongst that or you know is there anything extra when you're a trophy for example for when 50 stars won the Australian Cup um, yeah it's always a great thing a new thing um, I guess they're getting better at um, looking out for the strappers but yeah, I've been lucky to be in a couple of Caulfield Cups and a Melbourne Cup. So when you get your name in the book, it's pretty good. Um, and yeah, I think with these main races, you do get a little trophy, which is yeah, good recognition for the day. My Ollie, my oldest, he got it three times in a row, the oh, Strappers Award, and wow. he thought it was. Like that the people thought that the strapper looked good, not the horse. <laughs> so I had to explain to him, uh, mate, it's, you know, you did look lovely, but it's more about the horse. So, and I think it was like Jason Petch sponsored one of them. He got a hundred bucks from Jason Petch and, and yeah. so on. What's it like? It's a bit like the, the boxers coming out for a big boxing match. You know, that tunnel at Flemington, what's the, what's the biggest race at Flemington? I suppose COVID got in the way, but. Coming out of that tunnel and into the mounting out at Flemington on a big day must be a really wow sort of feeling. Yeah, it's, yeah, pretty crazy. So, yeah, I was lucky to do the Melbourne Cup a few years ago with Constantinople. And, yeah, the roar when you walk out through that tunnel at Flemington is pretty cool. But I reckon nothing beats the valley when you walk through that tunnel out to the front. Even on those Friday night meetings, everyone's so close. And, yeah, the music's going. So I can't imagine what it's going to be like this afternoon. Will, you've been working at Lindsay Park for about five years, but can you take us back to the days in Singapore when Dad was there calling and doing racing over there and you were too young to go to the track, but you really got that racing bug watching Dad on TV and the races, didn't you? Yeah, sure did. I always took a keen eye on what Dad was doing and helped him do the form and that. And, um, yeah, because you have to be 18 to go to the races in Singapore, but I was lucky enough during the school holidays um, I used to go into track work with Cliff Brown so, yeah, he was a great role model for me. And, yeah, I love going, being around the horses and watching how that went. And, um, yeah, as soon as I finished school and came back to Australia, it's all I've wanted to do is work in the stable. 
And you tried your hand at being a farrier too at one stage and the equestrian world, I don't know about the racing world, but the equestrian world is crying out for farriers. But given your height, it's quite a difficult task to be able to sustain a career like that, isn't it? So you, you moved away from that. Yeah, sure did. I had a look at it for a few weeks, but it just wasn't for me and I wanted to be back with the horses. So that's where I still am today. Are you particularly tall or small? Ah, uh, yeah, tall. Very tall. So does Brightside look like a pony when you walk him around? Do people get confused about, you know, when the strap is small and the horse is medium, the horse looks like a Clydesdale and vice versa? Do, do people think that Mr. Brightside's smaller than he is because you're so tall? Yeah, I reckon so. Like He's not the biggest horse to start with. Um, but, yeah, he definitely does look a bit smaller. But he's a very muscly horse, so it sort of all works together well. It's a good package by the sounds of it. Well, I'm just thinking about the Singapore and uh, you, you, like, not being able to get on track to 18. I, I mean, I... Yeah, I, it's a shocking rule. That's what, because aren't if the that, jockeys younger? There'd be younger jockeys. Well, maybe apprentices in that little bubble. But, Will, it's one of the reasons why Singapore racing is struggling now. The casinos on whatever that, Sentosa Island and all that. But this inability for people to bring kids to the races in Singapore is just ridiculous. But how do you get... Incentive, like me as a race caller, how many thousands and thousands of meetings I've been practicing at? I had a full time job when I was 17 at Channel 10. So, where would I have got that experience of calling off the TV? You ain't going to get it. But we all fell in love with races. We're getting a bit off the track here, Will, but we all fell in love with races because we went to the the races. Look at your daughter, Simone, and my kids when they were 10, 11, 12, 13. That's when we sort of fell in love with it without thinking of the gambling and everything. What do you reckon, Will? Was that a weird thing in Singapore? Yeah, it sure was. You're just missing that uh, generation because once everyone's got to that 18 or 19, they've worked out another hobby or yeah. something to do. So I think that's the best thing about Australia. Like Even Mr. Brightside today, the owners, they all bring their families and all the kids and they absolutely love it. They can pat the lead ponies and everything, so it's a great day out. And working at Lindsay Park, well, how did that happen, Will? Because it would be every strapper's dream when some are just working for... You know, maybe some hobby trainers or smaller stables around the tracks, but you've you've gone right to the top right from the start. Yeah, so well, yeah, when I moved back from Singapore, I was, went back to WA and I worked in Carnarvon just for a small trainer. And then when I moved to Perth, I worked for Neville Parnham for six months. And then, yeah, um, moved over to Melbourne with my family and that's when I started the barrier apprenticeship, but that didn't last too long. So I tried to get in with Lindsay Park, but... They were um, had enough staff at that moment, so I went to Nigel Blackiston for eight months, and yeah, that was a great. Learned a lot there at Flemington, and then after that, Lindsay Park had an opening. So yeah, I've been there almost five years now. What's the worst horse you've ever had to strap? Hayes infamously had a horse. I think it, Dan, you'll remember. Was it Rebel Soldier? There was an import. Oh yeah, he, he used to <laughs> he used to eat people. He did. Yep. He ripped. He ripped. He ripped um, into Tom Dabney's chest from memory. He was and... a carnivore. One day. You um, heard about him, did you, Will? Yeah, sure have. The legend of Rebel Soldier. And the, he, I was up there one day, and I swear to God this is a true story, right? Never trust anyone who ever says that, but I swear this is a true story. <laughs> it was when Americane was up there with David Hayes. They had Rebel Soldier in some sort of a mobile cage thing that he was jogging along with to protect people from Rebel Soldier. Yeah. They'd conjured up some... It was like Hannibal Lecter's mask, <laughs> but it was like a cage. Have you ever... Had just an absolutely psychotic horse that you were scared of? Uh, I've been very lucky. Probably the worst one I've had to deal with was A-Star in his early days um, as a colt. Um, but he's improved a lot now. Like He's still quite a naughty colt, but he's improved out of sight. But yeah, his early days as a two- and three-year-old, he didn't want many people around. He didn't have too many friends. He just had to be very wary of him. Remember, quite uh, famous, the top uh, pacer from about 30 years ago. He lived, well, not quite a cage, but it, it was high enough that um, the levels were high enough you couldn't put your hand over. Sir Tristram wasn't too dissimilar. He was Fra a, was yeah. a lunatic. And, oh, and, and really? I t- mm. Lunatic. I'll tell you another horse. one, who the great Sosie Bond. I mean, how many mm. times did he try and bite other horses when, in, an, in an actual race? And to see him get to, what's he, I think nine now. I mean, he's... What a story. I think he's won a couple of million dollars. I well, mean, he's a little gentleman up on the farm now, isn't he, Will? Oh, uh, yeah. He's, he would be one of the quietest horses you can go around. He'd make a great kid's pony one day. So, yeah, it's crazy how they can change once they get that ultimate gear change. Yeah, that's right. He, he talks with a much higher voice now when he's winning, anyway. <laughs> 
He doesn't go clubbing anymore. He just reads books. But he, he nipped a few. It, like there was a few races where it was clear when you were watching the race, he'd take a nip. They were they got the oh, nickname he was a nipper. Lewis Suarez. He was a but even the ponies, mm. wasn't it? Uh, yeah. I think he was riding one of the ponies one day, and he. Or might have been the clerk of the course. Sam Highland's pony used to try and eat kids at the races. Oh, it went the other way. Yeah. yeah, there was two Hannibal Lecters. Yeah, I think that's why Singapore introduced the 18-plus rule, because of Sam Highland's pony here trying to nip kids at Flemington. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, we're certainly getting off track again now. We do do that, Will. Hey, um, did you go to the Mr. Brightside party in the barn up there? Uh, we had After the Doncaster? Ah, okay. It was a very big night. Do you know, every time I come past Festival Hall on the train, I saw the killers at Festival Hall. So that's how far back I go with my love of the killers. And um, that was before they were superstars. So that was before Mr. Brightside? Um, it, no, that was the off song. their first album. Yeah, and right. I actually saw them for their second, their second album had just been released. So um, I'm certainly on the Mr. Brightside team today, Will. And um, given that, you know, I know your mum and dad quite well... Um, I'm really hoping that you can strap a winner. Where are you going to watch it from, Will? Uh, yeah. I'll be somewhere near the tunnel or down the front so with all the owners. So, yeah, it's going to be an amazing thrill just to be there and hopefully you can run very well. Are you going to go off your head, dear? Uh, what I've seen, there's so many images of the relationship between the strapper and the horse, and it's, mm. a, and it's a unique relationship, closer than anyone, closer than the owners, closer than the trainer, closer than the jockeys, and those great American horses with their... They're loyal strappers. They're, they're great stories. Do you have a, a sort of an affection for Mr. Brightside that others don't quite have, maybe? Uh, yeah, I reckon so. Like He's a very laid-back customer, but, yeah, I think, reckon he knows when I'm around. So, yeah, it's a pretty good bond, and um, we work very well together. Oh, well, Will, it's um, a story that I love to hear, having horses myself, and you do build up that relationship, and I think it um, is a story that needs to get out more to the general public about the affection and the time that you spend with them. So thank you very much for your time on this very busy morning for you and we're wishing you all the very best in the stable today. No worries. Thank you guys for having me. Good on you, Will. There is a... I remember... might have been Secretariat, but it was certainly Seattle Slough had a very loyal uh, uh, strapper uh, and, and that, that story was one of the great stories because all the billionaire owners but the, the best relationships to strapper. If you're farm was burning down and you could save your husband or your horses. Oh, is is that a question you even ask me? Well, because I think I know the answer. Yeah. Oh, is that why there's not even any need to ask? There's not even any need to ask me. Yeah. If I knew there was a fire coming, the float would be hooked up and I'd have everything ready to go. He's old and, enough to look after And Darren would be himself. handcuffed to the fridge or something, would he? <laughs> he can get out himself. He's old enough. Oh, dazzler. <laughs> he can walk. So he can drive. I'll be looking after the horses. And I always have this worry in my head. I've got three horses and... A two-horse float, so it would be, yeah. Well, you'd put one in the passenger seat then, and Darren (laughs) could walk. I'd put the pony pony on the the Some of those ponies uh, that are there, they're tiny. They're they're smaller than a a large dog. Yeah, absolutely. They They are tiny. We're doing the pony trots. You could pick them up effectively like a grey and they'd be slightly heavier, but you could actually put them... In the front or back seat, well, big enough. Can I tell you, you know how Small. we wander off the path? I'm about to jump off the path, right? Right. In okay. Walhalla, the creepy ghost town in East Gippsland, oh, yeah. yep. it's the most amazing town. It's full of ghosts Been because there, there was yeah. a, a mine, it was an old mine, and they've almost recreated some of it, right? Mm. Because got the train there, there. And there's the great fire, the great fire that burned it down, and it was full of pubs and bordellos. It was a wild west town, but yep. it was full of mines and Chinese miners. Mm. We went on a tour through the mine about 10 years ago and you have to really kneel down to go through the mine and the guy who conducted the tour said there were pit ponies in here and they were, they existed in there for generations to the point where they were so accustomed to living in such tight tunnels that they never grew genetically. They, the oh. next ones that came along were small and never grew do because how, good's, do how good that- a story is that, Dan? So if we kept you in a small box... For 50 years. Right. You would produce miniatures. I'd come out smaller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> you wouldn't see me. I'd be under the table. It'd be like Willy Wonka and he transfers hmm. the, the, the chocolate bar. Yeah. I'd be sitting on this chair. My legs would be dangling. Oh, they wouldn't even fit the ground, reach the ground. <laughs> We'd be carrying him under our arm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's, go, well, let's grab, grab Matt, literally grab, grab Matt, him. and we'll take him yeah, down the pub. put him in my handbag. How many people yeah. that would be listening right now would be just... Thinking, <laughs> what's he on? No, no they'll be thinking uh, that... That would suit Matt. They would like Matt to They'd be They'd like to cut, cut his legs off at the knees, maybe. Oh, I don't think they were thinking that graphically, to <laughs> no, be honest. That's, 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 that's another far. Simone sort of thing. Well, do you know, talking about... Um, I wonder Darren's scared Talking about mines and things, a um, number of years ago when I was in Wales, I went into the big pit and it was yeah, a mining thing and the story of the pit ponies, which always I feel terribly sad about pit ponies, but I know from the tour guide and the photos that they had, they were very well looked after because they were expected to work quite hard. But um, they once they were down in that pit, they never saw daylight. They were no. that was their, their stalls were there. You could still smell the stables, the yeah. stable area. You had to, well, anyone who's smell. listening who has never been to Walhalla, do the mine Sounds tour, good. and you sort of go from labyrinth to labyrinth, and there's. There's dank water too, so and the yeah. miners had to live in it as well. Mm. Like. And they've got the big cemetery there, which is history, mm. you know, isn't it, on the hill? Yes, and, and it's all covered in bushland and stuff, yeah. so it's very hard to detect. And there's the train ride if it's still operating, but yeah. it's a lovely train ride, well, very scenic. Mal, Mal, my ex and I and the kids went there when the kids were little, and we'd booked, we were going to stay there the night, and I don't believe in anything, as you know. And I said, Atheist. I said, I don't really want to stay here. There's too many ghosts. And the kids said, hmm, let's go and stay somewhere oh, else. Let's really? go and stay Nuji instead. Oh. So no, there's this t- this town has ghosts. Considering really? it doesn't have a racetrack there, I think it did though, didn't it? I think it did back in those days. Yeah. Every town did, but for us to go to a place that doesn't have a racetrack, it's a bit of a tick, I reckon. And it's named after Valhalla, which was the Nordic, you'd know, the sort the of Hades. The, it's yeah, the... yeah. Before you go to hell, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. When you're going into oh. hell, that's right. Yeah, no. and it after sort death. of cashes in on. A bit to this picked windows with ghosts, and there's a house you can't walk past without a chair rocking out the front. See, I like all that stuff. I might put that, yeah, I do. Let's do an OB from Walhalla, really. Let's just go for a week. No, I'm not going going to stay there for too long. Recorded at midnight or something like that. (laughs) Well, guys, it's been absolutely fantastic. Another hour was whipped by as if it was only 59 minutes. Um, Have a great weekend. (laughs) We'll look forward to doing it next week, and we're going to go out with a replay of a famous, semi-infamous replay of a Cox Plate because the race meeting got called off after this particular race and no, there's been a lot of rain about, a lot of water about, a lot of talk about wet tracks at Mooney Valley. But no matter what happens, it could never be as wet and as heavy as this day when Fury's Order won. On the turn into the straight now, Kiwi Can led Fury's Order out after it from Tara's Bulba clear of Analyte, but it's Kiwi Can striding away in the straight, Fury's Order under the whips battling on, Kiwi Can going to the outside fence, Fury's Order's picking it up, Kiwi Can stopping, Fury's Order's going to win, he's drawn level and Fury's Order took the lead now, Kiwi Can struggling on but Fury's Order's won at a half length to Kiwi Can, eight lengths to Analyte, third...